Hello, all you lovely listeners, and welcome back to Season 3 of Therapy Works, the podcast that confronts some of life's biggest challenges. I'm your host, Julia Samuel, a mother of four, a best-selling author, and as you might have guessed, a psychotherapist. Each week, I invite you into my therapy room, where I'll be joined by a well-known voice or an unknown voice who will open up about a particular struggle they have faced or are still facing. The mission of this podcast is to expand our understanding of therapy and prove that meaningful conversations that may contain difficult emotions can be profoundly healing. Let's see who is joining us this week. So I am very pleased to be talking to someone who is going to remain anonymous. And she's talking about a very sensitive, difficult issue, which is the estrangement from her daughter. And on the podcast, I've had actually many messages from women, um, women in particular, uh, that, um, there must be fathers too, but mothers who have been estranged from their adult children. So I think this is a subject that many people don't talk about. And there's quite a lot of shame about it. There's quite a lot of stigma about it. And so looking forward to talking about what her experience is so that those of you who have this experience or know people that do may have some understanding. What I also do know is that the research shows that one in five families have some level of estrangement, often between parents and their adult children. So we've decided we're going to call this person Joanne. So welcome, Joanne. And my first question on this podcast is always, can you tell me a challenge you are facing or you have faced? Okay, thanks, Julia. And thanks for having me. And um, I wasn't aware that this was such a common thing. So the fact that it's common is, it really is heartbreaking, I think. Yeah. Um, mm. So the challenge that I'm facing then is, um, as you've said, I'm estranged from my uh, daughter. That's so painful. Yeah. Um, she is 22 mm-hmm. and um, it has always just been the two of us. Um, so I separated from her dad when, um, whilst I was pregnant, actually. Um, so we, we're close, but we're not, I've never thought of us as being, We've always had boundaries, you know. I've never thought of her as my best friend or any of that. You know, it's, there's always been a boundary between us. Um, but with it being the two of us, obviously we we're, we were incredibly close. Um, and then earlier this year, she met a boyfriend who I really liked. I thought he was great. I thought he was charming. I kept saying to her, he's really nice. I like this one. <laughs> and then within a few months, her behavior towards me changed. She would get very snappy with me. Uh, just just unusual traits that I hadn't seen before. Um, and she was going through a stressful time with work and with her health as well. So I thought perhaps it's that. And then just little things would happen. And... I was just very confused. I was like, I don't understand where this is coming from. At one point I said to her, I feel as though you hate me. I don't understand. Mm. And she said, no, no, I don't hate you. Um, And then with the boyfriend, like I said, I really liked him. I felt like we had a good relationship. If he was coming over to the house without her, he would ring me and say, oh, I'm on my way. Do you need anything picking up? Or does the dog need feeding? Or letting out for a walk, that kind of thing. So I thought, oh, he's lovely. Um, and this particular day, uh, it was a parcel that had arrived and he, he'd made some comment about it and made a comment about money. Um, and I had said, oh, oh, she owes me money, but it could have been five pounds, 10 pounds. It could have been anything, you know, there wasn't, that was, that was a level of the conversation. Um, and it was my birthday a couple of days afterwards and she planned a barbecue for me, just the three of us, um, 
she'd bought the food, she'd baked a cake. Um, I was really looking forward to it. And on the morning of my birthday, we'd sat and watched a film together. Um, her boyfriend was in bed. They'd spend the time between our house and his house. Um, and then he got up and then they had to go somewhere. She said, we'll be back soon. Um, we just need to sort this out. We'll be back. And then a couple of hours later, I got a text message to say she wasn't going to come back. So I said, oh, what about what about this barbecue? What about the birthday? She said, well, it's your fault because you've told him that I owe you money and you want him to pay it back. I was like, what? <laughs> I got that conversation hasn't happened. And I said, yeah, I mentioned money, but I didn't mention how much money. It was just a flow of conversation. It wasn't, it wasn't said in the, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't said in any way. It was literally a flow of conversation. Um, and it was after that things just really quickly became worse. Um, so she didn't come home. And then she was messaging me saying, when will you be out so I can get my things from the house? Tell me what was happening inside you from that kind of moment when she didn't come back for the barbecue. What what was going on for you? Well, I was really hurt and upset because it was my birthday and she planned it and she put so much effort into it. It just didn't make sense, you know, and it's like I'd made these plans with you, not with anybody else, and now I'm going to be on my own on my birthday. Great. <laughs> but also, as well as that, just really confused. Like, why, why would she be so mean? I didn't understand why she would be so mean. So yeah, so then, then I was getting the text messages saying about when will she, when would I be out so she could get her things? And I thought, well, I, I don't really know how to respond to that because I don't want her to get her things. I don't want her to leave. So I'm not going to say, come at whatever time on Friday and I'll be out. Um, I, I just didn't really know how to handle that. So I thought, well, I'll just leave that one, <laughs> see what happens. And then I went out. Um, a few days later and I came home and she'd been home and taken everything, literally everything, every sock, every pair of shoes, every, just literally everything had gone from her bedroom. It all gone. She left no trace of herself. It's, it had just gone, everything. <laughs> um, so I thought, well, let's not react to this. Let's just take a breath. I won't try and contact her and say, why have you done this? She's obviously angry about something. Let's just breathe leave it a day or so um and then when I tried to ring her I realized that she blocked me and then I couldn't message her on whatsapp because she blocked me there as well I couldn't message her on instagram because she blocked me there as well I was just blocked and just no no way of contacting her um and then just a couple of other things started to ping into my mind things that had happened over the last few months I was like oh okay so maybe maybe there's something going on with him that I I hadn't picked up on certain situations things that you talked about which were quite clearly not true um but more in the sense that he was telling stories to make himself appear amazing and I was like he's young he wants to make a good impression nothing seemed sinister it just seemed like he was trying to build himself up um and then just all the as time has gone on and I've looked back and gone oh wow <laughs> there was that situation and there was that situation and I just didn't see it um so looking back so in you sort of can build a picture where you can see what he was doing was different from what you experienced or believed at the time, that it was more mm. manipulative. Is that the right word? Yes, it is the right word. Yeah, completely, completely. Uh, I mean, I was so blind to it. There was even, there was a time when they were on holiday together and she was sending me photos, obviously before anything had, had gone wrong. She was sending me photos of the two of them and he was pulling faces on these photos. So I was laughing and saying things like, oh, he's punching as a joke because that's the kind of relationship I thought we had. Um, and then the message back was like, oi, that's a bit cheeky. And I said, well, look at the face he's pulling. And then the message came back, it was actually him using her phone and he said, who do you think's writing this? So I said, oh, okay, it's you. So I said, well, my daughter is beautiful, isn't she? <laughs> and you have done very well for yourself. And he said, yes, she is beautiful. But then he said, for that, I'm going to 
And it's really ridiculous. He said, I'm going to park on your drive when I come home because my drive has space for one car and he parks on it one day. And I was like, why have you parked, why have you parked on the drive park on the street? You know, it's my drive. Um, and so I said, well, you can't do that because there's a skip on it. So he said, right, okay, then I'm going to take her away from you for a month. And I was like, oh, that that's fighting talk. But again, I just thought it was a joke. I didn't, I didn't see it as a real threat. And he said, let, let the games begin. Wow. And it was literally weeks after that, that this, all this happened. So I was like, oh, maybe he did mean it. <laughs> maybe he is that kind of person. Your understanding of your relationship with your daughter is that you had a really warm, loving, not enmeshed, not, uh, not underboundaried relationship, not complicated that you mm. kind of had been obviously very important to each other because there wasn't a dad there weren't other siblings so you were the two people in each other's lives mm. and are you sing you're single now as well have you been single since mm. she was born mostly there has been um there has been a relationship where somebody lived with us but um um for maybe a couple of years but what I've always been very conscious of, and I know you're going to find this interesting, is looking back at my own childhood and thinking I don't want to raise her that way. Mm. So I was always very conscious that I didn't want different men coming into her life. And so with this one, I just felt like he wasn't the right kind of father figure. So it's like, no, that's not going to happen. And with other boyfriends I've had, I've kept them very separate because I just didn't. And for me, I needed to make sure they were the right ones. The majority of her life, it's just been the two of us. And your understanding is that he has created a kind of false narrative for her and taken her away from you. Yeah. And for you, what is particularly painful about all of this? Can you kind of let us know what, what's going on as you're thinking about this? And feeling about this. Yeah. So the most painful is like what has he done to to enable this? Like what has he said to her? What is he doing to her? Because it's, this was four months ago. And I've since found out that she's now, she sold her car. So she's reliant on him for transport. She left her job for a job that he has found her. She no longer wears makeup when she's out, which is just not her. So, it, so she's really changed. With everything else, yeah, with everything else, to, without being able to speak to her and engage it for myself, looking at it in that respect, I feel like he's really controlling her. It's really coercive and controlling. And my biggest fear is, what is he doing to make that happen? does she realize it is she going to come out of this if she does come out of this how is she going to be affected by it hmm. Hmm. those things so a real kind of fear of the future and the unknown of what is he doing to her and what is the impact on her and is she going to be all right yeah and I can really yeah. hear how frightening that is I imagine you've pictured all sorts of very painful scenarios. Yeah. I have a constant fear that the police are going to turn up and say she's been hurt. Um, I did wake up to a missed call from an unknown number at like 2.30 in the morning, one morning, and immediately I was like, oh, my gosh, they've been trying to get hold of me and they couldn't. Um. Yeah, it's just, yeah, just what, what is happening to her, what will happen to her. So it feels like there are the kind of many aspects of this that are so frightening and painful. One is you actually missing her as the most significant person mm. in your life who you really love. And then also your care for her and fear for her. If I go outside and look in and look from her perspective, because often in estrangement, the two people involved 
the young person or child, adult child of the parent, their view of what caused it is very different and often oppositional to what the parent believes the reason is. So your picture is that the boyfriend is coercive and controlling and taking her away from you and potentially doing her harm. Is there a a scenario that you could kind of move into her mindset and imagine what she's saying to herself that is very different to yours. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, it's strange because at first I was thinking, if it is this money thing, you know, and that's what she believes, perhaps she's thinking, I'm 22 now, I don't need you. I don't, I can set up my life for myself with my boyfriend. You know, they live in a nice apartment. They have a very nice lifestyle. I'm going to be a grown-up. It's time I was a grown-up. Yeah. I don't want to be mothered yeah. anymore. There was a little part of me inside before I was so worried that made me feel quite proud. Mm. Like, oh, she's going off. She's standing on her own two feet and she's she's making a stance on something that she doesn't agree with. Mm. So there was a part of me that felt like that. Um, but the longer it's gone on and the more things I hear, I'm just like, what? what can she be thinking that's keeping her like you know okay so she may say I fell out with you because of this conversation about money or because of something else that I don't know has happened but the longer it goes on I just think how you know we've missed her birthday you know all significant events that we would share together and with other people you know it's just like how I don't know it's hard to say so there was that part of you that kind of recognises she needs to step away from you and be interdependent and not dependent, be an adult young person. Mm. Um, but the more you know, the more you fear, it's it's more than that. What support have you been able to get? Where do you get your support? What what helps you, given that this is so painful and difficult? Um, so I have my family, so my parents are no longer alive, but I have my sister and my brother and my nieces who are adults and they have managed to stay in contact with her um nobody is asking her what why why are you doing this why have you fallen out with your mom because they're concerned that if they ask they will be isolated too um which I they, have might, speaking which to, they might to be honest. yeah exactly yeah so i've spoken to domestic abuse um services and they've They've said the same, you know, they've said while she has contact with other members of the family, don't push it. So that helps in some way knowing that, <laughs> but I can see that contact is slowly breaking as well. So that, that I have the support of those services um, and I have my family who will listen. I have my friends as well who, um, who listen and, there's not much anybody can do. I mean, I've gone through so many scenarios of I'm just going to go, I'm going to get her, I'm going to pull her into the car and like, just just listen to me. You know, I'm not saying come home or stay home, just listen to me. Let's find out what's really going on. But the advice I'm being given is, is not to do that because that could just push her the other way. Mm. So that I imagine it's that powerlessness and the and also what the story you tell yourself is limitless in your imagination and not knowing, all of the not knowing is kind of crazy making. As far as I understand it, if there is a reconciliation, it starts with a recognition that you come from two different realities and two different sets of feelings that are your reality. So allowing her maybe oppositional one to yours and mm. kind of not trying to fight it and override it. But I guess the first step is needing to have contact with that and mm. you have no contact in order to be able to say, I want to understand what's going on. I want to hear what you're upset about. I want to know what you're feeling so that I can begin to make sense of it rather than you're doing, doing me wrong. Yeah, so that is a message that I have passed on through one of my nieces, just to say, you know, your mum wants to put things right. Whatever she needs to do to put things right, she's willing to do. Um, 
and that message got ignored. And then she did restart up an old Instagram account that I wasn't blocked from. So I thought, okay, I left it. I left it a couple of weeks because I didn't want to jump straight onto. Oh, she's she's harassing me as soon as she sees this. So I left it a couple of weeks and I sent her a message on there, you know, just saying, um, "I love you. I want to sort this out. Just tell me what I need to do." Yeah. Yeah. But there wasn't a response. I just got blocked again. Oh, I'm sorry. And part of me thinks, well, could she not at least just say I'm not ready yet? You know, rather than just a complete block. And then I question, well, has she even seen it? Is it her that's blocked me? It's just, yeah. So painful, so hard. I can really hear how you, it feels almost like your heart is breaking, like you just feel heartbroken. Yeah, that's exactly it. The sort of main organisation that supports estranged families is Standalone. And they have yes. meet-up groups. And have you thought of joining them? Because I think what you need most is support. I have uh, gone on their website. But when I looked on it, I was like, okay, this is for, it would be more for her than it would be for me. So maybe I just didn't quite look in the right place. I think it's for um, parents as well. I think it's both sides of the estrangement. Okay. Yeah. Um, or or any of the family members. It could be, be between siblings. Mm, okay. Is there something that you hoped to get from me? I mean, obviously, I don't have answers. I wish I did. What did you hope from our conversation that would be helpful to you? I think the thing I'm struggling with the most is I'm being told you can't do anything. You have to wait. And um, and you're probably going to tell me the same thing, but it's just like, is there anything I can do? Is there anything? Any other advice? Because sitting and waiting is just horrific. It's horrible. <laughs> I suppose, I mean, I don't know if I'm right. This isn't an area I have real expertise in, but I'm I'm wondering if you could write her a letter. You, I guess you know where she lives. Yeah. Yeah. And just write a really loving letter, not talking about the boyfriend, not yeah. creating conflict or asking her to choose, you know, between him and mm. you, but just a loving mother's a card and letter to her daughter saying, I really love you. I hope you're doing well. I really miss you. And a small, I guess, a small invitation. Maybe we could meet for a coffee. What I'm also wondering, and I actually don't know if this is right, is to say something that acknowledges I do get that maybe this is important for you to be separate from me for your own development and stepping into adulthood and I respect that and I would love to have a small kind of connection with you or something like that yeah yeah so when it was her birthday I did send her an email because I don't know if I've blocked on emails or not but um, I did send her an email which was very similar to that saying I recognize that she may need to um stand on her own two feet and create this life for herself and I'm fully supportive of that but it would be nice to hear from her but I, I'm quite happy to just keep you know reinforcing that message the three-pronged attack at you that I'm getting is uh, the biggest is fear that you're going to get a call that she's hurt herself or something really d devastating has happened to her the other one is really just missing her. And the other one is all the not knowing and imagining and painting scenarios in your in your head. And are there things that you've been able to develop for yourself that in some way 
momentarily even or for an hour put those down so that you can have a break from the wearing extremely painful ruminating in your head which must do your head in yeah it does do my head in (laughs) yeah I do I do um um I do do quite a lot of things that take me like out of the house and um hobbies and seeing friends and what are your hobbies out for meals so um yoga is a big one yeah um paddle boarding is another um just being outside and walking um i really enjoy great so i do make sure i do those things and they do help keep me sane (laughs) sometimes but then obviously you always come back home yeah and she's not there and in my terms that's a real living loss isn't it which is all the experiences of grief you know of sadness of fury of confusion of who am i now am i am i still a parent of um wondering of all the what ifs all the rumination that 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 is the sort of the pain of it but also i guess it doesn't sound like when you talk to others that you like if she, if someone dies there's this kind of concrete thing that people will understand and you can kind of express your grief it's never straightforward and people often don't understand it like you'd like them to but it's mm-hmm. there's a kind of legitimacy to it and i guess what's particularly painful for you is not feeling validated in your experience of this enormous loss as it is now yeah, and I, I don't think I've ever really thought about it, but going back to what you said at the start, there must be shame about it because I'm not talking about it. My family know, my friends, my close friends know, not every friend knows. Definitely don't talk about it at work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and that, it does have a big impact on me. Yeah. I, I imagine for work, and others might disagree with me, it's not a bad thing to have a boundary and not talk about it at work. So you can kind of put on your work persona and be your mm. work self and really put it down. I'd imagine that would be quite a helpful mm. um, support for, for you that, you know, they're not looking at you wondering and not asking you, have you heard from her? Is she there? So you can just literally just switch mm. and move your attention into your work. I imagine that gives you a break in some way. Probably, yeah, probably does. But you hadn't thought of it as something that's shameful. I hadn't, but the fact that... You don't tell people. Yeah, yeah, then I guess... Yeah, I guess there is some shame in that, but... And just also this... um, It also feels like it's her story as much as it's mine, and do I really have a right to be even talking to you on this podcast about it, you know? I'm talking about a huge thing that's happening in her life and she hasn't given me permission to have this conversation with you. So I feel quite protective over her in that way as well. Is there anything that you've learned from this, as devastating as it is? I've definitely learned the signs of gaslighting, which I just didn't, I didn't recognise them. But there were so many examples, like I said, of looking back over things that had happened and they'd only been together a few months and when I look back, there's so many. And then when I do like talk to family or friends that know about this, about it, they're like, well, why didn't you realise what that was, you know? So I guess I've learned how manipulative people can be. Yes, that sounds like a really negative learning, that you were kind of innocent <laughs> and now you're not innocent anymore, that gaslighting oh, is a real thing. Is there anything strengthening that you've learned i mean i I, maybe i'm looking for something that isn't possible but i'm just wondering sometimes letting us know that we've learned is strengthening and often we don't let ourselves know of our own strengths and learning because we get so focused on the pain and the loss i mean some friends have have said to me they don't know how i've remained strong through this um, so I guess it is a positive. Mm. It doesn't always feel that way, but, you know, I'm coping with it in healthy ways, such as 
getting outside yoga walking you know i don't drink so I, you know i don't i don't have those type of coping mechanisms to fall back on um, which is probably a good thing it is a good thing um but it's kind of it's a, it's a thing that you don't want to have to learn from. No. You, don't, you don't want to experience this and then realise, oh, <laughs> you're quite strong or, you know, whatever. No. Mm. What do you really want her to know? See, I think she does already know. I think she she must, she must, sorry, she must know how much she's loved and cared for. And, you know, if she has come to a realisation that something is happening to her that isn't what she thought it was, that she won't be judged if she comes home or even just doesn't have to come home, just speak to me, you know, there's no judgement, it's just love. Yeah. That you completely love her with all of who she is and you're not going to be angry or, or blame her or anything you just want your relationship with her and uh, her yeah to kind of be safe and and loved I guess yeah yeah I can really feel in my body I mean as you know I've got daughters uh, uh, it's agony hearing the pain that you're in I can really feel it and imagine I can't it is one of my worst fears is not having a relationship with my children something that never crossed my mind it's not you know it's just never if you were to say 12 months ago look forward into your life and what how would it be this is just not a scenario that I ever could have imagined it's completely out of the blue and worse than you could have ever imagined yeah yeah completely I mean I my kind of encouragement would be obviously to be empathic and self-compassionate to yourself, which sounds like you are. You don't sound like you're kind of self-attacking, really. I don't know. I don't think I am. No. And I would I would join the groups of standalone. I really would. I think yeah. that if being with like-minded people, although they have a very different experience, I think there's something about sharing experience with others as individual, but also as connected as it is, I think is incredibly important. There's quite a good book called No Family is Perfect by Lucy Blake. Okay. I thought that was quite a helpful book. And the other thing I was thinking, I mean, none of these are rocket science. I wish they were. I wish I had a magic solution for you, like I often do in therapy, but unfortunately therapy can't offer magic solutions, is um, don't become isolated. Stay connected with your family and your your brother and your nieces and nephews. Have plans, even if they're just an hour. But I think shame and stigma grow in silence and isolation. And so keep going with the things that you do of yoga, of getting outside. But I think the biggest thing that will support you, the thing that you do have control over is yourself and your relationship with yourself. You don't have control over her choices or what she decides to do. And kind of recognising that might release you to some extent, because I think often in our heads, we keep going to a scenario, if I say this, or if I do that, or then I will be able to influence her. But actually, I think if you, given that you have no contact with her, if you really put your attention to supporting yourself, to keep yourself as resilient and robust as possible, that's probably the best you can do right now it does make sense yeah yeah it does because there's going to be an outcome hopefully the outcome is we're going to have contact at some point and I just feel that when that happens I need to be at my best self to be able to support her and 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 myself because because that contact might might end up being I don't ever want to speak to you again you know which would be utterly, utterly devastating. So the other thing that came up for me is to keep your skylines short. Like each day, just deal with today, what you sometimes deal just what you have to deal with for this next hour or this next few hours. And don't kind of look into your unknown 
frightening, unpredictable future. So just support yourself in the hours and the day that you have and do that every day. I think help does help build resilience. Yeah, because I do find myself, you know, if I know, for example, she's she has been arranging to meet her cousins. That's nice. And I kind of think it's nice, but then it doesn't come off. Oh, she cancels. Yeah, she cancels last minute things that she's forgotten. Um that she already had planned. Um, so I, I find myself thinking, okay, so she's going to see them in three days. That's great. They'll see how she is. And then it gets to that day and it doesn't happen. So, so then a plan is made for another time. It's like, okay, we'll get there and we'll see how she is. And it doesn't happen. So, so I think I like the saying, keep my skyline short. Keep <laughs> it keep, in the day. Keep it. Yeah. And I, other experts would know much better than me, and I check with standalone, but my instinct is to send her a note once a month or something, just a loving note saying, I'm loving you, miss you, a little bit of your news, not at all judgy, kind of kind and loving mm. and quite short, not very long and sort of... That would be my instinct, is to even write a postcard once a month. I mean, I would like to know what other mm. listeners would think maybe that's wrong advice but just let her know that you're there you haven't forgotten her you've kept her in mind and you really love her is that the opposite advice you've been given so initially I was she blocked me from everywhere except for Facebook which I found interesting because neither her or I were connected to him on Facebook so I was just sending just once a week just a little hope you're okay love you hope you're doing okay here when you need me, that just that little thing. Um, and then um, then I got blocked from there, so I don't know. I think she saw them. But, um, so that, that's, that's what I was following. But then when I've spoken to, um, I'm sure it's Women's Aid, I can't remember mm. uh, exactly who it is I spoke to, and they were saying you have to be very careful because they have had situations where if it, if it happened in my situation she would take out a restraining order against me ah gosh but yeah so they, and, and that's why they're saying not to push for contact while she has contact with others because if if what i think is happening is happening what he would do is he would go for um the biggest threat to him and isolate them which is me mm. and then if any any of the people become threats he'll start to isolate them so that's why I'm following this. Just don't push things. Yeah, it's just it's just so hard. I do still. I have I have had people say to me, oh, "It's not like you to sit back and do nothing. Why are you doing nothing?" I'm like, because I'm thinking of her safety. Yeah, I don't want to do nothing. No, I want to do everything. Yeah, you want but, to go and bash the door down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, definitely I'm going to send her a little card. Definitely going to do that. Yeah, that sounds a nice thing, a really nice thing. But maybe my idea was is too much. That that might be taken as too pushy. So we're coming to the end. Is there anything you need from me that I can give you? I kind of feel like I really want to give you something. One of the things I'm worried about is through talking to domestic abuse services and just reading about these kind of things, there are times when, if abuse is happening, when they will happen more. Certain, like football is one example, holidays is another example. And um, I, I just have this fear that something terrible is going to happen when, when we are experiencing one of those. I can really hear how frightening that is. And one of the things, that you could do as a kind of tool to protect you is what I call change the channel. So rather than, because our mind goes into loops and negative loops, so rather than imagining it and taking that picture to a kind of terrible end, when you're aware of a very negative picture, if you close your eyes and put on a television, turn on a television screen, take a breath, put the difficult image on, take a breath, change the channel and put a positive image on, an image that kind of gives you a sense of calm and peace. Take a breath and then move your attention 
into doing something, make yourself a cup of tea, go back to work. And if you do that a lot of times, when you get the negative image, your feedback loop will automatically start changing the channel. Does it, does that make sense? Uh, but no, that does make sense. Um, I, I know every, like everybody who cares about my, me and her, they want to help. Mm. But I just, I don't know a way that they can help. One of the things that probably the most significant thing they can help is by listening to you, being warm, by being empathic and supporting you given this is what you're feeling. And, you know, as much as I feel powerless because I really want to be able to do some magic for you, I think just having, I hope just having the conversation and knowing that other people are listening to it and feeling for you is in and of itself supportive. Yeah, I just hope, you know, go back to, um, like I said, I didn't realise how, how common this was and that other people had written to you. I don't know, I just feel like if this situation for every situation there has to be a positive that comes out of it doesn't there there has to be and even if it even if it is just that other people hear that it isn't only happening to them maybe that's a positive i mean i do think that is a positive and i also think terrible things happen for no reason and there isn't a positive but in recognizing that i think it is helpful you know, I think there is a narrative of toxic positivities that you have to take the good from the bad and these things are sent to try us. And what I'm really understanding from you is right now you are just holding it together, which is maybe more than many of us listening would imagine we would be able to do, which is actually extraordinary. But you are in the in the middle of an unbelievably agonising experience for which you you are powerless and which the only thing you can do is find ways of supporting yourself and enduring it um, and withstand the pain of it in the hope, in the hope that she will, as you said, that these relationships, if that is what's happening, that these relationships don't last long and hold on to the little flame of hope that she will come back to you. I guess that's the best you can do right now yeah and that is helpful because um i do feel as though maybe not now it's gone on so long but certainly within the first one two three months people were just like she's just having a moment it's just her age it's just this it's just that you know in some way diminishing your experience be, yeah being really dismissive and it's like hold on i, I know her this i know what's happening I don't want it to. I would love to be wrong. Mm. I would love her just to be in a bit of a strop and, you know, decided to take herself off for a little while. That that would be the best outcome. Um, yeah, so just I think acknowledgement of how I'm feeling, which um, you just did, really does help. I'm really pleased that that has helped. And thank you so much for having the courage to sharing this extremely painful and very complicated experience with us and with our listeners. I really appreciate it. And pray that she does come back. And yeah. will you let us know? Keep us <laughs> yeah, updated. I will. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. I'm just really grateful that you've let me speak to you. So thank you. Thank you very much for speaking to us for this very meaningful conversation. Thank you so much. One of the very special things about this podcast is that at the end of every episode, I get the opportunity to reflect on the conversation with my two psychotherapist daughters, Sophie and Emily. Sophie is an adult psychotherapist and Emily is a child psychotherapist. And as we all specialise in different forms of therapy, it is really interesting to see what their takeaways are, what their insights are, and if they think there was anything that I could have said or done differently. You'll quickly learn not all therapists agree on everything. But let's hear what their thoughts are this week. Hello, Sophie and Emily. We 
are talking about Joanne and her really terrifying story of estrangement with her daughter that she was so close to. And I wondered, what was your first responses to it, really? Because it's very powerful. I think my first response was just this really felt experience of helplessness and powerlessness and pain. And listening to the two of you talk together, I also felt, mum, your sense of helplessness. <laughs> I mean, I think you asked maybe two or three times, like, what, what can I do? <laughs> what would you like from me? And it made me really reflect too on our role as therapists in the face of such intense, raw pain and helplessness. As I was listening, I've, I've put here, I didn't acknowledge how painful at the time and I kept on trying to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you acknowledged the pain, mm. but I also got your sense of her pain and, and wanting to help. Mm. And I think your powerlessness... That's an echo of her powerlessness. So I'm a child psychotherapist by training and part of that is that you do an infant observation um, so you read a lot of this psychoanalyst called Bion and mm. his whole theory was about containment. So he talks a lot about, you know, when you see a baby who's really screaming and screaming and screaming, and then you see a mom pick up the baby and they don't necessarily even do anything or necessarily even touch them, but somehow their presence sort of contains whatever's going on for the baby and soothes the baby. Mm. And that sometimes our role as therapists is as a container. Yeah. to kind of contain the pain of whatever the other person is feeling and deliver it back in a more digestible form. And that sometimes that's also unbearable for us too. I agree. I mean, I think that's a beautiful description, Em. And I think where this podcast as a therapist is tricky is I, I don't consciously become performative, but I think there must be a part of me that is observing me observing myself like wanting to do something if I could just sit with her and let her feel what she feels and hold it within me and hold around her containing and holding all of that complexity and pain that would have been therapeutic and obviously this isn't a therapy session so mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. a sort of false analogy but it, it just is what it made me think of because often we do have clients where they are powerless and you as a therapist are powerless over the practical reality of their situation. Yeah. What do you do with that? Yes, and it struck me that the moments that she seemed most soothed were the moments when the powerlessness is most extreme, the points where you can redirect your energies towards what you do have agency over. So in this case, it was what could she do to support herself? The recognition that I think you had discussed together of that, that actually right now there wasn't anything she could do. And that, that seemed to me in the conversation in those little moments, there was some kind of relief of like, okay, there actually isn't anything I can do for her right now. But the only things I can do is this is the space I've got agency, which is around myself and how I support myself and tolerate this experience. As Em said, bearing witness, isn't it, to the pain. And I noticed that myself when I was listening, one of the reasons why I definitely really felt that embodied sort of fear was because it touched on me having my own children and the idea that this could happen to them without me doing anything, without control. For me, at least as a therapist, those are the kind of moments when it can be harder to, to be a good container. Well, as I was listening to myself, I was sort of like shaking my head and critical of myself. And and it helps hearing you two say it, her powerlessness and the, all of the, the imagination pictures and the not knowing and the not knowing when it's going to end or not knowing how it's going to end and her worst fear of what she thought it could be, how it would end is utterly bewildering and terrifying. And, you know, the definition of bewilderment is in pathless places. And I sort of felt that physiologically in my body, I think. And it's quite hard to stay with that. Really hard. And also that dance between acceptance and change, that often for change to happen, you have to accept where you are, that paradox. 
which sometimes is, feels impossible. That sense of not knowing when it's going to end and not knowing how a situation is going to evolve is part, you know, more broadly of people who experience estrangement from a family member, because at that moment, for whatever reason, a relationship is not possible. And there is no knowing when or if that will ever be different. And those open-ended not knowings are one of the ones that we can really struggle to get to that point of acceptance. And when we don't, it sort of invites rumination and obsessing and trying to get control, doesn't it? When there isn't an end point that we can you know, support ourselves with. That speaks to what you're both saying is that actually if she could really let herself know that she doesn't have control and has to live with the not knowing, there is relief in that. It's when you, as you were saying, you get busy with trying to like Sherlock Holmes find an answer or find a way in or that that really can drive you nutty. And I also thought, Mum, that your advice was really, really helpful around, I think, the way forward for connection is to try and avoid polarization, try to avoid being, well, you think this and I think this and just battling. And I think I've spoken before about dialectical behavioral therapy that I do with a lot of teens here. And the basic premise of that is that two apparently completely contradictory views can be true at the same time. And when you have that, you allow more space for a meeting in the middle, because there's not Mm. an absolute truth. And I think it's a very useful strategy when you have a situation where you are sort of wanting to reconnect, but the other person is in a very different position. So it can be both true that I want to reconnect with my daughter And I can accept that right now that's not where she is or that she feels something different. And with teens, for example, my mom is really, really strict and she cares about me. And the more that we can give ourselves capacity to hold multiple viewpoints, the more that you're going to find a way to meet in the middle, whether that's with an estranged child, whether that's with a difficult teen, whatever that relationship is. I think that's really important what you're saying, Em. And in the context of, and I'm not saying we don't actually obviously know the situation for Joanne's daughter, but more broadly, I think the temptation in those situations, if you fear for someone who may be in those kind of relationships, is to end up battling over the the relationship. You should leave. You shouldn't be with that person. They're a bad person. And then that polarizes the other person into defense. If you can accept as hard as it may seem, that for whatever reason in that moment they're choosing to stay. And that might alongside feel like all the reasons why that's not a good decision. But actually, particularly actually in those very fragile situations where there's a lot of risk, then actually maintaining connection is more important than trying to force someone to leave. There's some information about domestically violent relationships which can be misunderstood. So, for example, often the default response um, and this, I worked with a domestic violence charity for, for two years, is to think that people should leave. And it's important to know that actually the most risky time for a woman in terms of violent and dangerous relationships is the point of leaving. It's not as simple as that. And on average, it takes women seven attempts to leave a relationship before they actually do. God, so and wow. And that's the average. Given that... Would the sort of recommendation be just to let that person know that you are there to support them, whatever decision they make? And kind of, again, going back to this, acceptance doesn't have to equal agreement, that I can accept this is where you are now and you're choosing to stay in this relationship, which is awful. And I don't agree that that is the right thing for you to do. I think it's exactly that. If you can think about it in the context of the person who may be in that relationship, actually the most damaging part often of those relationships is that your agency, your rights, your belief, who you are is being taken away by somebody else. And what you really don't need in that moment is someone else who's telling you what to do or whether your feelings are right or wrong. You need someone who's there to listen, to be alongside you, who maintains a connection, the most dangerous thing for someone in an abusive relationship is to get completely isolated because that's when they're most vulnerable. So both in terms of protecting them to be available, but also that what they need isn't someone who's telling them what to do. 
that they should leave or what's right or what's wrong. It's actually more somehow they need to make sense of themselves. And if they have someone there who is available to support them, it is more likely that they will come to a realisation that they don't want to do this anymore or that they need someone to help them. And also like reduce the shame. And reduce the shame yeah. and not get into that, oh, I can't tell them how it really is because they'll say, I told you so. Which mm. means that people get alienated from the network that they most desperately need. Mm. So I think it's the opposite of what often of what people think is needed in terms of intervention. And also the opposite of what, as a parent or someone you love, you want to do, right? So it's, it's hard to do that. I'll put it on the show notes. There's sort of two links I found that are very good at describing. One is sort of titled, So You Want to Stage an Intervention? Or Should I Call the Police? And they sort of walk through the decision-making process of whether that's a good idea. And they have a few helpful suggestions like leaving information sheets in communal areas that they might visit that has contact details rather than bringing them into the home, which then is potentially threatening. On a more positive note, we don't know what is going to happen in this situation with Joanne, but I think sometimes separation can be a positive thing, ultimately. You know, it, it is obviously incredibly, it's not for positive for Joanne right now, but in other circumstances, Sometimes, particularly when you have a young adult, that period of separation before you come back together can be really, really helpful. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about myself I was thinking <laughs> personally. That. You know, I think mum and I, <laughs> we went mm. through quite a turbulent patch when I was sort of, you know, late teens, early 20s. And I, I moved abroad. <laughs> I, I didn't to Australia. Cut off contact. <laughs> I went to Australia. I was like, where's the furthest I can go? <laughs> um, and obviously, this is not a, a, a comparable situation. But I think for us and I think it can happen in relationships bizarrely by going really far away I actually became closer to mum because I didn't feel this like something about being in a different environment and not having the pressure and just being able to create my own identity in my own space allowed me then to be close to her so I don't think that you know if you have a particularly a young adult or a teen who is wanting that distance from you that doesn't necessarily mean these really negative outcomes it can just be like the process of individuation and I'm also aware of how courageous Joanne was talking to me given that she knows and has heard our relationship mother-daughter relationship and I'm very much thinking of her listening to this now as we're talking and that there's something painful that we're having what she doesn't have and that I feel a little bit tense about that or a little bit I hate this word because people use it but I do feel uncomfortable about it. The thing I understood from her was how much she wanted this to be able to support other people mm. so that this didn't happen in their lives and one of the things I'm thinking very separate from Joanne's story I think it is often something that can happen as a pattern in families who haven't necessarily developed a culture of how to communicate through difficult things. So this isn't how to repair. what I, uh, doesn't really relate to Joanne's story, but in terms of my, in, within my practice, people who are estranged and it happens multiple times or in multiple relationships, that that's how a family historically have dealt with conflict is just not to talk to one another for mm -hmm. six months, for a year, for four years. and. I'm wondering if that's partly because within first certain family systems, it's actually very common because the family hasn't necessarily developed a way of communicating through difficulty and conflict. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I, I'm wondering. I think, I mean, it's certainly true in my experience. And I think that's really helpful. Like a big piece of learning if people are listening is learning your own pathways in families of how you repair after a fight, how you manage conflict, because there will always be conflict. I mean, not that there was in, in Joanne's case, but aside, some of the estrangement is obviously caused by conflict. And I think what was so terrifying about Joanne's experience is that there didn't seem to be anything There was like no, nothing. It's out of the blue. I just want to add that I emailed Joanne before we recorded and she told me that the idea of the postcard that I'd suggested has worked. And she is minimally in touch with her daughter. And 
there's a lot to do, but she is at least in touch with her. And as I'm saying it, I'm saying that it's like me trying to fix it, like tidily at the end. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a tidy ending. Obviously, there's a long way to go, but she has at least got contact with her. So thank you, Emily and Sophie. Such a difficult subject. And thank Joanne so much for her courage in talking to us and letting other people know that they aren't alone. And I hope that helps. And for those of you that know other people that might find this conversation helpful, do share it. And also it helps others find us if you rate and review. So until next week, thank you.